let's get into it. We're talking about Esther this morning. I'm excited about this, this series because, full disclaimer, this is my jam. I love going verse by verse and studying uh, people in the Bible and really just seeing what God can draw out of these stories that are so rich and so good. And um, I, I teach on the story of Esther every year in, in my Bible class. But, you know, last year, if you were here a year ago, we did a study on Joseph where we really took our time with it. And, and I teach on Joseph in my Bible class as well. And what's, what I loved about that series for me personally, I went into that series thinking, I, I, I know this story, right? I've, I've taught it for about eight or nine years now. I've pretty much gotten everything out of it that there is to get out of it, which is a ridiculous notion to begin with, right? <laughs> but it, every week I was preaching on things that, for the most part, I had never taught on in my Bible class. And it just goes to show you the depths of these stories. There are, it's like Shrek. It's just onions after, you know, layer after layer that you can find new things about. And, um, and this week is no different. As we begin our study on Esther, it is something that I've never seen before. Praise God. The Holy Spirit just continues to reveal more things. When we give the word of God time, and we sit in it, the Holy Spirit reveals all sorts of amazing things. And so I'm really excited, really excited to start this series today. And I want to say one more thing. Uh, next week, as we have the kids in here, we're going to take a break from it because if you uh, are an overachiever and want to read ahead, you're going to be like, this might not be appropriate material for little kids. So we're going to pause on it next week and do something different, but, um, and then we'll pick back up the next week. Um, the story of Esther can really... When, when I read it, I look at it, it could be a play. Like, it could actually be something that if you were a playwright, you could take this story and make it into a play that is put on in the theater. It's got all the stuff. It's got humor. It's got a villain. It's got, you know, just everything that you could want. It's an amazing story. And as we, as we consider that, we can have the temptation of, of considering these people to be characters, right? And I always resist using that term characters when talking about anyone in the Bible because character, you know, connotes that they're fictitious, right? Like this is not a cat in the hat story. This is not Curious George or anything like that. This is, these are real people that lived real lives on this real world that had real uh, insecurities, real troubles, real sorrows, real fears, real successes, all those things. And so as we study this story, I want to encourage you, put yourselves in their shoes, all right, think about what it must have been like to be a Jew in Persia in this time and what all that that entails, okay? So we, as we study this, let's not consider it that it was then and that, that's it and we're just going to learn some Bible trivia. But instead, we are going to put ourselves in this time and see what God teaches us because what, what he had for them, he has for us now, amen? So as we begin this series, I really believe we just need to pause and pray over it. Um, as we begin. Amen. All right, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the worship, God. Thank you for the opportunity to sow into your kingdom. And God, thank you so much for stories like this. God, for lessons like this, for, for your voice in stories like the story of Esther. And God, we give you this series. Lord, we pray, Jesus, that your word would be alive in our hearts. God, that we would have fresh eyes as we go verse by verse in this incredible story. Reveal yourself to us, Father. Teach us, challenge us, comfort us, Lord. And God, I pray that as we go through this and as we finish, Lord, we would be different than we were even in this moment right now. 
that we would be closer to you, that we would have a greater understanding of who you are. And God, that we would live even more so for you as we walk through this story. God, we give it to you wholly and completely and we say thank you for the holy word of God. God, thank you for each verse, each word in it, that none of it would get lost. God, we, 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 we come before you now and, and say your word is holy. Your word is good. Your word is alive. So speak to us as we go into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's get into it. Esther chapter 1, starting in verse 1. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. Okay, so right off the bat, the Bible is telling us that Persia was huge, all right? Persia is massive, 127 provinces in all of Persia, stretching from India to Ethiopia. It says that the Persian Empire was the largest the world had ever seen. It covered what we call today Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Jordan, Lebanon, and Israel, and also parts of modern-day Egypt, Sudan, Libya, and Arabia. Massive, right? It was huge. And so now, with that understanding, let's consider being a Jew in exile in Persia. It was as if the world was just too big. The world that they lived in, that was not their world because it was not a world that worshiped God, that put God first, that acknowledged their God. It was like the world was swallowing them up. And there's this little remnant of Jews in this massive empire. If you go to the book before Esther, we read about Nehemiah and, and there were some that went back. With Nehemiah, there were some that went back to Jerusalem, but not all. And so we find those that didn't go back in exile in Persia. Living under a king who did not worship God. Living under a king who was, by and large, um, an idiot, really. And, you know, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Um, and we'll, we'll see that more as we study this story. But it's important to understand just how massive Persia is and how small the Jews must have felt in that empire, small, forgotten, not heard, fearful of what could happen. It goes on to say in verse 2, At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. So Susa is basically like the capital, right? In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. I love the wording here. He throws a banquet for his nobles, right? He's throwing, the banquet is for you. Oh, by the way, it's to show off me. Right? It says here, his empire, his majesty. So come, all of you princes, all you military officials, all you nobles from all the provinces, come to Susa and see how great I am. Right? And it lasts 180 days, six months of the year. It goes on to say in verse 5 when it was all over, they just relaxed for a while. No. It says, when it was all over, the king gave a banquet. For all the people, from the greatest to the least, 
who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. Imagine how big that palace garden must have or the courtyard of the palace garden must have been. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons, silver rings embedded with, in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. So that's as far as we're going today. We're going to talk about those six verses that intro the story of Esther. And I think it's so interesting as we read this, just exactly who this king is. And this is what I really realized when I was beginning uh, the study for this week's message. And I'll be honest with y'all. This is a message, if you've been coming here for a while, you have heard me preach before. And I'm okay with saying that because we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because what we are going to discuss this morning, we are going to do a compare and contrast of earthly kings, lowercase k, Versus the king of kings. And I'm going to be real honest with you all. There's a lot of us in here that are paying a whole lot of attention to earthly kings right now. We are putting all sorts of focus on earthly kings, rulers, leaders, whatever that might be. And I'm not just talking about those that are in a political office. Because I don't know if you've noticed in this world, but many of the leaders are not in political office. And we are putting all sorts of attention on them. And we are forgetting that there is a king of kings. And a lot of times the, the focus that we're pu putting on ourselves in our life, the ruler that rules over us has nothing to do with a person. It might be a circumstance. It might be a situation. It might be a, a, a health issue or a financial issue or a marriage issue. And those things become the king in our life. Those things become the ruler and the leader of our lives. And all the while, there is a king of kings sitting on the throne, and we're not giving him a lick of attention. We're just paying attention to the king over the massive 127 provinces that we live in that feels like it's swallowing us up. And so as we begin this morning, we need to refocus our attention. As we begin this study on Esther, we need to understand fully and completely that there is a king, capital K, of kings on the throne. You know, when I read this, these first six verses, and I tell this to my class all the time, it's for me, what, what these six verses, the 180-day banquet, the inviting the nobles and the princes and the military officials to come see all that I have, and then even opening up the courtyard to the to the homeless person in Susa versus the great say, come in, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, check out my gold couches and my silver couches and whatever's hanging here and there and look at it all. This screams to me, I'm insecure, yeah. right? Come on, who needs 187 days of saying, you're awesome, man. Like gotta be the most insecure person in the entire planet. I mean, and he's a king. He's got this big, huge, the biggest empire that the world has ever seen. And it's not enough. It's not enough. He's got to throw a banquet. And then after that banquet, he's got to throw another banquet. Just so people, even the homeless guy on the corner can tell him, wow, man, you're awesome. Like, bro, you need Jesus. I think this is, by the way, the first beginnings of social media, by the way. <clears throat> and I'm just going to leave that there. 
but wildly insecure. Needs the approval of man with everything that he has, all the riches, all the land. Still needs people to tell him how great he is. It's because he's insecure. Here's the thing about the king of kings. He is incredibly secure in who he is. God knows exactly who he is. That's why he was able to send Jesus, who, didn't, who, who had all of this wealth in heaven, but didn't cling to it, but left and said, rather than having people pat me on the back for how great I am, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be a sacrifice. And I'm going to be a savior. Not so people can just come into my kingdom, but so I can go live in their houses. So I can leave my palace and don't come into my place and tell me how great I am about all my furniture, but I'm going to go live with you. I'm going to go be in your heart and I'm going to go be in your home. And it's going to last a whole lot longer than 187 days. It's going to last for the rest of your life and it's going to last into eternity. That is the king of kings. He's secure enough to know exactly who he is where he can leave all those things and come down to this earth and be a homeless king. When I say homeless, you know, the Bible says... Foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He just traveled. He just went. He was building his kingdom home by home, region by region, to dwell in all of those places, not in one solitary palace. You know, this banquet that we read about in the first six verses, it was big, it was long. You would think, who in the world, 187 days, that's crazy. But even that banquet, as big as it was, had its limits. It had an end. It had a boundary. But as we talk about the Lord, I was reminded that he throws himself a banquet as well. And it is not 187 days. It is always. If you read Psalm 19, starting in verse 1, this is the description of God's banquet. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. Xerxes had his 187 days of fun. But it came to an end. It had a beginning and an end. The Bible says that God's display of his glory is day after day. And night after night. And it's not just for those that were in Susa. It's not just for the nobles in all the 127 provinces. It says for it is for all the world. And it goes to the ends of the earth. So no matter where you are, no matter what class you are in, no matter what you are doing, you are invited to the banquet of God as his glory is shown through his creation every single day. And I want to say this to you all. No king... No king that has ever lived on this earth, no earthly king can sniff the greatness of God. All of it falls woefully short. Woefully short. No king can stop the sunrise. No king can pluck a star out of the sky. That's God's banquet. That is his glory. That is his majesty and it goes throughout all of the world. How about we fix our eyes on him? I want to challenge you all because I could, you know, listen, you want to know 
have God's glory. You want to re-understand it? Don't listen to my sermon. Well, do. You know, it's cool. But get up this morning, um, on a morning this week. I challenge you. And listen, we live in a beautiful place. We really do. We live where people vacation. How blessed are we? Granted, it's starting to fill up a little bit. The traffic is testing my faith. It's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to drive. I'm just going to pre-repent right now. Because there's going to be some serious thoughts over some of these license plates that I'm seeing. Where are they coming from? I don't know how, I mean, some of y'all that live in Ponte Vedra, I don't know how you do it. Going north and south on A1A. It's getting crazy. But it's because people, you know, the secret's out. We live in, a, in an amazing place. And we, we forget, especially if you've lived here a while, that there is an ocean five blocks from here. And every single morning, God starts that banquet again with the sunrise. And I, I'm serious about this. I want to challenge you all to get up this week. Yeah, between now and next Sunday. And go watch the sunrise. Get a cup of coffee. Do whatever you have to do. And go down to the beach and just sit and wait for it. Get down there before. I know you're thinking, that's really early. I know it is. It's one day. And just watch the glory of the Lord come up over the horizon. And you will be reminded of how big he is and how small we are. It's his creation. And if that's just too much for you, we also have the intercoastal waterway, which shows the sunset. If that's more your cup of tea, okay, cool, cool, cool. You can, you can watch the sun set as well. Or if you're just, you know, if you need prayer and you're in night owl, um, look at the star. Go somewhere where you can actually see the stars. But I'm, and I'm, I'm serious about all this. The glory of God in our skies, coming over the ocean. We are so blessed to be able to see that. And we need to remember the power of God. And there is nothing in this world that can push that sun down. It's going to come up. Nothing stops God's banquet. And I really believe, y'all, we need to be reminded of this. And of everything we do here at Beaches Chapel, it is built on the truth and the understanding that God is the God. And He is holy. And He is to be feared. He is to be respected of who He is as well. You can have your, 100, you can have your 187 day banquet cool. I want God's banquet. And no one can stop that. All right. I want to look at, we're going to do a different story this morning and look at the interaction, the difference of the interaction between the men who came to Xerxes' banquet, and they were there. A lot of them were yes men, patting Xerxes on the back, talking to him, you know, giving him whatever words he needed in that moment to feel better about himself, right? But then there's an interaction that I want to talk about that shows the difference between someone like Xerxes, who's the king over the largest empire the world had ever seen, and over God as king of kings. And it's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. 
When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. All right, here's a difference in Xerxes and God. Xerxes has this palace with all these fancy things, and he invites people in to see it and to look at it. Whereas when Moses encounters God, God makes the dirt holy. You get that? He doesn't have to set up this living room with fancy things. He's like, no, no, no. When I'm on the scene, even the dirt is holy. The dirt is more valuable than the couch in Xerxes' palace because I am here and I say what is holy. The furniture doesn't make it holy. I make the dirt holy. That is God. And then it says at the end of that verse, it says that Moses was afraid to look at God. There was this power and this reverence of who God was that he actually had to hide his face from the power of the king of kings. He couldn't look at him. Whereas Xerxes wanted everyone to come in and pat me on the back, tell me how great I am. Moses go, I can't look at you, you're too good. You're too powerful. You're too much. This was a holy moment. Then it goes on to say in verse seven, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Let me say that again. I am aware of their suffering. I'll say that one more time. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So in this moment, the Israelites are under Egyptian rule. In the story of Esther, they're under Persian rule. It doesn't matter who's ruling or the time. God hears the cry of his people. He, hear, he heard the cry of them then. He hears the cry of them now. And he'll hear the cry of them tomorrow. He hears us. And not only that, but now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding, pleading for us. He is engaged in what we do. And I love that it says, it says that, you know, the land now is filled with these people and those people. He's like, you know what? They're living there now, but they're just renters. The lease is almost up. That's my land. And I'm going to send my people there because I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. And what I say goes. I don't care how many people are there. That's for my people. And they're about to get out. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? What an amazing question. Don't you think he, should have been, he would have been better to ask, who am I to have company with you right now? But his focus is on the earthly king, on the Pharaoh. He is having a conversation with God and he's saying, who am I to meet with Pharaoh? Are you serious? Who are you to meet with me, Moses? 
I just made the dirt holy. But man, if that's not us, I don't know what is. God, you have called me. I am your son and I am your daughter and I have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Who am I to go talk to that guy? We get so focused on the earthly kings that we lose sight of who we're even having a conversation with. God's got to be going, are you serious? Focus on me. Focus on me. Their empire has borders. Mine does not. God answered in his patience, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. See, earthly kings, especially you know, in, the, in the Old Testament, but even now, it's all about legacy. It's all about how am I going to be remembered? So I have to get more and more and more so that I can be remembered for having this, that, and the other. And all of those things are based out of fear and an understanding that their time is limited. They have a, a start and a stop time on whatever throne that they occupy. So I had better get as much as I can in the time that I have so that I can be a notch above everybody else. And that is why it was so important for Xerxes to have this 187 days of banquets, why it was so important that he have 127 provinces and try and get that 128th. Because at the end of the day, how is he going to be remembered? He wants to be remembered as the greatest. And so that is how they operate. And it's all based out of fear not being the best. God doesn't have that problem. He doesn't operate like that because his wealth and his kingdom goes beyond as far as the eye can see. We're still trying to make telescopes that can see as far as God's creation. I think God, every time that God sees us, us, not me, uh, people a lot smarter than me, build these telescopes that just go, you know, way, way into other, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking outside of my expertise, as you can tell. But I think when, when, he, when we get a new advancement on those things, I think he's going, yes, good. Still can't see it all, can you? Build another one. Build another one. And just keep trying to see the ends. Keep trying to find the borders, because I'm telling you right now, there ain't any you're never going to be able to see them all. And so he doesn't operate in fear. He doesn't operate in insecurity. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is I am. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And the more that we understand that, 
the less that we will walk in fear in our own lives. We will shift our attention from the earthly kings that have been ruling us over to the God who died for us and who reigns in heaven. You know, the Bible says that God controls the hearts of kings. He puts them in their hand and he, you know, he can control them like little water, like water. That is our God. Bear with me on this analogy, okay? Some of y'all are going to be like, James, you're a dork. You're such a nerd. But I was watching Ant-Man, versus, Ant-Man and Wasp the other day. Avengers movie, okay? It'll all preach, I, tr- I promise. And there's a scene in it where Ant-Man gets huge. He's like giant, and I'm, I won't go into the physics of how it all happens, all right? Just bear with me. But he's, you know, there, it's an action scene. And one of the bad guys is normal size. And he leans out of the car, and he's trying to shoot like a machine gun at Ant-Man. And Ammon does this. He, he leans down and he, he makes this noise. He goes, boop, <clears throat> just like that. And the guy goes flying and hits, hits a wall, you know. It's like, and I feel like that's God to earthly kings, you know, who thinks like, you're really going to step to me? How about this? Boop, you know, just, and, and, in, and in Jesus' name, I really pray that he makes that noise because for some reason, that just, it's just better, right? Like if Ant-Man had been down and just flicked him like with no sound effects, like, all right, cool. But the boop really brings it home. And when Jesus comes back on that horse, right, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there's going to be thunder, there's going to be trumpets, but I'm going to listen close for a boop as well, right? Just, if I'm the only one on planet Earth that hears it, Lord, just give that to me, right? Because I'm going to be like, that's right, God, I know what you're doing. But honestly, that's the difference. And yet, we worry about the tiny guy trying to shoot these little pellets at God. And say, what are we going to do? Who am I amongst all these people? God, the world is swallowing me up. There's 127 provinces surrounding me. I'm in exile in this place. And I don't know what to do. All the while, God's saying, remember me? Remember me? The King of kings and the Lord of lords? No king on earth, no ruler, no leader, good or bad, can even come close to me. None. And I want to say this morning, if you're walking in fear, if you're walking, and and, and it, it might be something totally different than if you're watching the news. Whatever you're walking through in your life, whatever is ruling you in this very moment, bring it to the king of kings and see how it measures up to his love and his goodness for you. It will shrink. And again, this week, I challenge all of us to be reminded of the the vastness and the magnitude of who God is, not just in our personal life, but in this world, because he has a plan. And as we study this story, things get bleak for all the Jews living in Persia. But it's not the end of the story for them. It's not the end. Revelations, Revelation 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Not an almighty one, not one of the almighty ones, but the almighty. Everyone say the. The. 
the Almighty One. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is God on high. And He was and He is and He is to come. He's the only one. There's no borders on His... There's no 127 provinces with God. It, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And His banquet lasts forever. And hallelujah, He has invited us into that banquet. We are His guests. And He wants to have fellowship with us. Here's another interesting tidbit about the story of Esther. It is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God. It doesn't mention God in the whole book. But that doesn't mean that he's not there. He's not mentioned, but he's in it everywhere. And I want to say this as well. Just because you might not be hearing God mentioned does not mean that he's not in it. Okay? Does not mean that he is not in it. This is his. It's his creation. It is his creation. It's our job to make sure that he is mentioned in it. It's our job to speak his name over everything, to make sure that the name of Jesus is always on our lips and to, and to bring him into the conversation as King of kings and Lord of lords and not to the point where we say, we're like Moses, say, well, who am I to do that? Who am I to talk to Pharaoh? You're the son and the daughter of the living God. That's who you are. The second that we, that we invite Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Savior, we are an ambassador for God. We can be bold in that because we serve the God who was and who is and who is still to come. We need to walk with the confidence that God is who he says he is, that he is a secure God. And we need to walk in humility over that exact same thing. He's calling us. He's calling us to be confident in who he is, to stand in who he is, to not walk in fear because there's people or situations that say that they are God in our lives instead. And they are not. They are not. God is so much bigger. They can have their 187 days of a banquet have your gold couches, have your marble flooring. It's all so temporary. None of it compares to the sun coming up every morning, the sun going down at night, to the depths of the ocean, to the height of the mountains, to all that God has created for us to see. This banquet that goes on and on and on, day after day, night after night, that reaches all the world, that is the God we serve. And no king, no ruler, no leader, no medical diagnosis, no financial situation, no marriage situation, nothing your child is going through is bigger than our Lord. Amen? Let's stand up. We're going to worship this morning. And as we do again, let's just do so with a heart that God is a big God. And as big as he is, his role is not to just show off for us. It's to invite us in. And Jesus left his palace. He left his riches. If, if, if Xerxes' riches were what we read about, how much more so than the riches of heaven? And Jesus said, I'm good. I'm gonna go down there 
and I'm going to make a way for them to be citizens of heaven. I'm going to save them from themselves so that they know every single day throughout the day that they are part of a kingdom that has no end and their king is greater. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time. Just take a moment. Say, God, I'm done serving other kings. I serve you. And he will be quick to come in, rescue us, comfort us, save us. Father, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us when we give more attention to the things that we fear than to who has conquered it all. Forgive us when we allow life to be dictated by things that are not of you, by fears that the enemy tries to, to get to run rampant in our hearts and in our minds. Forgive us when we think that it's up to us and we have to bear this burden of figuring it out and fighting this battle and doing all the things. And we forget that there is a God in heaven seated on the throne who has already done all of it for us. Lord, we're so blessed. We're so blessed to know you. We're so blessed to be saved by you. To say that though we are in this world, we are not of this world. And we are yours. And we're held so tightly in your hand that we couldn't, you, you just would never let us go. Father, forgive us. When we've shrunk you down, as king to a king that we see here on earth. Forgive us, Lord, of that. God, we ask truly for forgiveness. And God, as we enter back into worship, we declare and we proclaim that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is none like you, God, that even now, even now, the angels encircle you in heaven saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yes, Father, your kingdom has no end. Your reign has no end. There are no borders to your greatness. There is no end to your banquet. Thank you for the stars. Thank you for the sunrise that remind us who you are and who we are. Thank you that you share your glory with us in your creation. God, I pray for each one of us that we would be reminded this week that you are God and you are big and you are holy and that no one or no thing measures up to you. Thank you with all of that, Lord. You love us. You hear us. You saved us so that we could have a relationship with you not just be a guest at a party, but have a relationship with you. Adopted us in as your family, sons and daughters, so that we can now be called a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Yes, Lord, you are God. You are holy and you are righteous and you are true and you are perfect and you are lovely and you are beautiful. You are glorious. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Jesus, we praise you, Lord. 
You are worthy of our praise, Father. You are worthy of our praise. Yes, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Glory, Father. Glory, Lord. Glory, God. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.